Welcome to the Limitless Grit Podcast, where we have conversations with social entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and ordinary people who are achieving extraordinary results. And now, here is your host, Shristi Gajarel. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Limitless Grit Podcast. Today, the day I'm recording this is June 21st, which is officially the first day of summer, and it is absolutely beautiful in New York City. So a few weeks ago, I was just scrolling through my Facebook, and I came across a story that really captivated my attention. The story was about Chris Leamy, who is a singer and whose songs are being distributed by Sony Red, who is also a songwriter and has written songs for many, many artists. But what really captivated me about his story is that on weekends, Chris would sit next to homeless people and sing so they could make more money. He also helped raise almost $20,000 for the homeless community. He has helped many homeless people get off the street and get a job. And he believes one of his life's mission is to humanize the homeless population, which he's doing every single day through his music, through his social media, through him working with homeless shelters and through different media outlets. Guys, I really hope this episode will inspire you to be more empathetic towards the homeless community. And if anything, just smile and say hello and acknowledge them. And I also want to thank Chris for making me believe that you don't have to choose between your passion and your profession. You can do both and still be great at it. So thank you, Chris. And without further ado, everyone, Chris Leamy. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here. So for people who are not familiar with your work or um, what you have been doing, just give us a little background. Sure. Um, So I started a campaign called He Plays For Me. Um, I started it about two and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, one night I'm a musician in New York. I'm signed on Sony Red. Mm -hmm. And uh, one night I was coming home late on the subway. And this woman who is clearly less fortunate panhandling, um, she looked at my guitar case and she said, oh, this would be a lot easier if I had one of those. And I was never someone who really talked to the homeless community. Um, I was definitely one of those New Yorkers that walks right by and uh, didn't think twice about it. But, you know, I was waiting for my subway, so I got to chatting with this woman, and she mentioned that people who have a talent or skill on the street often do a lot better in terms of tips and and donations and things like that. Um, So I've been working on a bunch of new song ideas, so I decided one weekend to go out, and really I was just using it as an opportunity to demo new songs. Um, It was not much deeper than that. And um, so what I did was I went and sat next to homeless individuals, played a couple of tunes, and any of the money we made, they got to keep. Um, and re- honestly, it changed my life. I was absolutely blown away by like, the kindness amongst the homeless community in general. Um, and also their perspective, I think, is incredibly valuable. You know, I think here I am in New York City, like, I have a roof over my head, I have family, I have friends that I'm very close with. I'm fortunate to have great relationships uh, with people around me and people who support me. Not everyone has that. And you know, just to see how excited these people would get you know, over a $2 donation or a cup of coffee or honestly, someone even saying hello, right? It, it showed me the value in the small things. And um, I, you know, as a character flaw of my own, you know, that's not something I'm good at recognizing how great I have it all the time. So um, yeah, what it did is it, it really changed my perspective on life. And that was two and a half years ago. And since then, um, you know, I've been going out at least try to go once a week and sit with homeless people throughout New York City and play, play music and uh, 
along with releasing music. And then, you know, I've partnered with the Bowery Mission as well as Covenant House uh, in New York City to help with the homeless problem. Um, yeah, and I guess that's about it. Oh, wow. So is that something your family does as well? Or do, when you grew up, did you go to Soup Kitchen or Midnight Run? Or is that something you just were inspired one day? You know, I mean, my family's always been very kind and compassionate. And honestly, they were probably better role models for this than I was. Like, I look at my, my grandfather, who, Southside Irish of Chicago, you know, he's been involved in helping the homeless community for the last 30 years um, through the Catholic Church. Um, so, yeah, I, I, and like, you know, my, my family's been very, like, you know, give more than you have, right? And that, that's always been their perspective. And I think, uh, you know, I try to emulate that. So you're from Chicago? I grew up in Chicago, yeah. What made you come to New York City? A job. Um, I started working at Morgan Stanley as a trader on their in their investment bank. And yeah, I came here with the dual purpose of working in music and doing that as well. Um, and it's just grown from there. So you've been a trader and you do this and you make music. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, you know, it's really, it comes down to discipline. And, you know, I, I usually go to work around 7. I usually leave around 6.30. Um, and then I'll spend the rest of the time either doing music. And, like, you know, within the music world, you can book sessions later at night. And, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been able to keep the worlds very separate. Uh, most of the musicians I've worked with, and I've worked with some unbelievably talented New York musicians. Um, you know, far too many to name. Um, and I, I just really just book things later at night for that. So it, it just becomes a very, you know... Uh, strict regiment, I guess. Mm. And I feel like I work in finance sure. and it's super intense and sometimes when you get home you just want to crash. Like you don't even want to, as passionate as I am with podcasts, you just don't have that creative flow going on, right? So how do you keep your creativity while having such a tense workload? I think, I think that's why. That, I think having the tense workload has really helped my creativity over the years. Um, I, I think working at a, a big firm, you know, you deal with politics and particularly in the Wall Street environment, sometimes there can be large egos that fly around. Um, and oftentimes you're dealing with a lot of risk, right? It's a, it's a stressful job. Um, but I think having, having music as an outlet or any form of creativity as an outlet has really helped me as a person to decompress. Mm -hmm. Um, so no, I'm, I'm very grateful to have music in my life. Um, so, I mean, when you first decided to, you know, go sing for a homeless individual, what was your colleagues, your friends and your family's reaction? That's interesting. You know, I didn't really, uh, for a long time, I didn't really talk about it and I didn't really discuss it with anyone. You know, it was something that I wanted to do and I thought was really powerful for me, but I wasn't under, I wasn't sure that people would understand it. And um, finally, like, I just kept hearing so many amazing stories, just like little tidbits of things that these people on the street would, would say to me. Like I remember early on, uh, I'd been sitting with a guy for a while and we were out, in the, it was freezing cold, it was middle of winter, we were playing, no one was stopping, so we were chatting a lot. And um, you know, I got to know him really well and I mentioned like, oh, you know, I just hung up on the phone with my sister and, you know, we were fighting about something stupid and, you know, today was a tough day at work, you know, really stressful. 
And, you know, the guy turns to me, he's like, wow, you know, you have a job. That's amazing. And I haven't talked to my sister in years. I don't even know her phone number. So it's just, it really just the little things like that really uh, kind of put you back in your place. Um, and I, I kept hearing things like that. I'm like, man, maybe we can, you know, humanize the homeless population again, right? Because so many people just walk straight by. And I was one of those people, so I get it. So I thought, with permission, I started sharing some of these, like, words of wisdom and tidbits uh, of info that the homeless community was kind enough to bring me into. Um, and I started sharing them on social media. And, uh, and that, that was when the responses first started coming in. Like, oh, wow, hey, I saw your friend Hassan on the street. I talked to him and said hello. Right, so the goal is, like, always to, if we can get people, you don't necessarily have to donate money to homeless people. You don't have to give food if you don't want to. But saying hello costs nothing, right? Um, and my family didn't really understand it at first. I think they were, you know, um, I think they were proud that I was trying to help. Um, but I, I think they're, they're coming around too. So. That's awesome. So you talk about like humanizing homeless population, mm-hmm. right? People listening right now, what can they do today to humanize homeless population? Stop and say hello. That's it. Ask, ask a homeless person how they're doing. And I bet you would be shocked at the, at the information that you would get within two minutes. You know, it's very interesting because um, people, for whatever reason, and what I've seen, feel incredibly comfortable telling a complete stranger sometimes very deep, intimate details about themselves. And, um, you know, I, I think people would be very surprised at what the, what they, the individuals they meet on the street. You know, um, the common misconceptions are it's all drugs, drunks, um, selfishness. And that, that has not been the homeless community that I've seen. And I did midnight run in college, and uh, I was a campus minister. I went to a Catholic school, so we did a lot of work with like Habitat for Humanity, soup kitchen, and midnight run. And while doing midnight run, I met a guy who went to Columbia and had double degrees, and he was homeless. And I met another person who was in jail because I don't know when he was 14, he committed a crime, and he was in jail for 20 years, and he got out, and he didn't know what to do. So that way he was in the streets. So I feel like a lot of people who are not exposed to community services, their perception of homelessness is so different than what it is. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. Um, And uh, most of these people that I sit with, the first thing they say is, I never, ever thought I would be here. Mm. Um, And I think that's very interesting. This isn't something where... These these people don't necessarily have a network to hold them up. You know, if if I lost my job tomorrow and I couldn't pay my rent, my parents might not take me in, but my sister definitely would. You know, I have friends too who would help me and not everyone has that. You know, that's an incredible gift. How do you think, I mean, you've spent like years with homeless people. How do one come to that situation? I mean, it's a lot of different, like you said, like, an, you know, an individual who maybe went to jail when he was 14 years old or grew up in a really broken home and had to fend for himself um, or herself. Uh, I think that's very common. It's just like there's there's no support, there's no guidance um, to help some of these people, and, th- and that's that's part of it, right? But where I've seen what people can do when they feel a little bit of support, you know, I've seen three three individuals get off the street completely, and that was I didn't do any of that, right? I happened to be around, but these are the individuals who went and got the job and called me, so excited to have a cell phone, so excited to have an apartment in the Bronx that's you know 200 square feet, but it was their own, right? And I think. People are capable of amazing things when they feel like they have support. And um, you helped Miguel, and he has a job now, and he has an apartment. Like, tell us a story about Miguel. So I met Miguel um, a couple of years ago, and um, 
I was walking down the street. I wasn't even, you know, out playing or anything. I was just walking by on 14th Street and a woman tripped and fell. And Miguel was panhandling on 14th and 6th. And he immediately got up and he was like, oh, ma'am, are you okay? Can I help you? Can I help carry your bag? And it was just very sweet. Uh, and she was very appreciative. And I, that sparked my interest. I was hey, you know, New York City, you decided to get up and help this woman. You know, tell me about it. Uh, and he told me about himself and he was, you know, he was very kind and he was very sweet. Um, and I, I wanted to help him. So as I got to know him, I wanted to help him. Um, so I sat and played with him a few times and he, <laughs> I had a song coming out at the time and we wanted to do a music video around the idea of, okay, can we use He Plays For Me to get someone completely off the street? It was just more like an experiment and he was like, let's try it. So uh, he started in the video and what we did was we figured out a budget, like, all right, what would it take? How much money would it take? Or what type of opportunities would it take for you to get completely off the street to turn your life around? And him and I came up with a budget and it was, I think it was $500. Like, okay, for like two months of rent, we got to find him a job. He went out looking for apartments or a room that he could rent. Um, maybe you know, there was like a small portion for new clothes for him, for work. That's um, all he needed, 500 to get off. $500. Yeah. Wow. And you know, he went out and he did the interview and um, you know, the company that hired him, the, the manager was amazing and she, she was so supportive and so behind him and Scary helping him. Scary queen, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, they, I mean, they were, they were incredibly kind to him. And yeah, he, he did it himself though. You know, wow. he, I, I, I was just so fortunate to see the rise, right? It was, uh, it was incredible. So, um, yeah, we raised the money quickly and, uh, yeah. And he was on his own. So That's amazing. So I feel like we all had that moment every single day where we are like, you know what? I want to do this today, or I want to travel, or I want to make this change in my life. And I'm sure, like, even doing this project, you thought about it for some times. And what was that moment when you decided to go on with it and um, make it your priority? You know, I don't think I ever, there ever was no, like, come to Jesus moment. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of a, kind of a slow grind. And, and, you know, has been, I just really, I just weighed the cost and the benefits, right? Um, to finance thing. I guess it comes down to, yeah, it comes down to that where, okay, let's try to help Miguel. If it works, guy's off the street, his life has changed. If it doesn't, he's probably still a little bit better off, mm -hmm. right? Um, so when these people have nothing, you know, just putting in a little bit of effort, it can go a long way. So I, I think that that's been the, the constant thing that keeps me in check. It's like, what is this going to cost me personally? And maybe it's a little bit of time, maybe it's a little bit of money, but it can have massive ramifications for these individuals. Uh, and that's kind of what's kept me on the path. Okay. Um, I think when you started, I don't think you thought about like you would be able to raise almost $20,000, like help so many people get off the street and have such a tangible impact. Did you think your one decision was going to make such an impact? Oh, absolutely not. I never in a million years dreamed that, you know, and thanks to like now this and CNN and today.com and a bunch of different incredible you know uh media outlets picked up the story and they were so sweet with how they treated these individuals and people magazine and like you know the care and kindness that a lot of these outlets showed these people and they helped right they you know they spread the donation links and they told the story and they did a great job doing it i never in a million years thought that would ever happen i thought maybe my friends and family would get involved maybe yeah. give a buck or two um no i never thought and people all over the world um 
you know, Germany and Switzerland and people I've never met sent me incredibly kind stories and people even sent me Facebook messages and Instagram messages of, hey, tell, tell Hassan, tell Miguel, like, we're rooting for him, we're thinking of him over here in Germany. Like, what an incredible thing. No, I, I never count on that. I mean, I found out about you from um, before 5 a.m. Instagram, mm. and it's from Australia, yeah. so that's... Yeah, Joe Duncan has been an amazing guy. Uh, I've talked to him several times, and, you know, I've, I've asked his advice on what's the best way to make an impact and, and do things like that. And he's, yeah, him and Impact Billions and before 5 a.m. have been very nice to me. Yeah. So, very appreciative. And I, his Instagram is amazing, too. Great. It's great. Yeah, yeah. So, um, your music video, American Man, what was the idea behind it and um, how did you come about creating it? Yeah, so I moved, I went out to, um, I went out to LA for, for a week and I'd, I'd been writing with these guys in this band called The Kin, who were a big New York band. They signed with Interscope years ago. They went on tour with Pink for the Truth About Love Arena tour. Um, they formed a new group called Braves. Um, which signed to Rossman Records, which is like Wiz Khalifa's label. And um, wow. so I went out to write with them because they're guys I've known for a long time. And the first day I got there, um, I was so exhausted. Like I had been, been working. It was been my first day of vacation that year. Wow. Um, and it would been, you know, it was in, it was late in the year and uh, I was absolutely worn out. So, you know, I, I sit there and these guys are like, all right, well, what's been going on? And I've been doing He Plays For Me and I've been doing... Um, you know, working in finance, and I was just bone tired. And I was like, let me tell you about the way things are. And you know, that song came out a lot angrier than I anticipated. Um, yeah, but that song is all about that, right? I think, I think contrast is always interesting, especially when it comes to the arts, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, having someone who doesn't necessarily fit the mold and like does something the opposite, I think is, is very exciting. Um, so I wanted to take that, okay, I come from the, the Wall Street world. But I've also spent a lot of time with some of the poorest people. Um, how do I? How, what, what's the message there? And I, I think I was still dealing with um, the homeless problem and how can I make an impact? And am I even making an impact? Mm -hmm. Right? Am I making a difference? Does this help? I don't know. Uh, that was where that song came with uh, came from. Kind of looking at the world around me and saying, "All right, am I am I am I doing this the right way?" Um, yeah. I, I mean, I love I love the message of that song. I love the words of that song. Mm -hmm. but yeah. No, that's a beautiful song. Oh, I like well, listened to it, and I was like, because you were like in a suit and tie, and there is another version as well. And right. I was like, kind of thinking about it, but you were just trying to battle within yourself. That's exactly it. I mean, that's that's the story, right? Is you know the guy starts at the beginning, and he walks right by the homeless person, and then you know he kind of has his own life, and he's fighting with his girlfriend or mm -hmm. whoever. And then he comes back, and it's like the the resolution, I guess. I don't know. What do you think? Like, it takes longer for some people to come back to that. I don't know. I think everyone's on their own journey, right? Um, you know, who knows? Some some people are looking for different things and dealing with different things, and I think that that really becomes a manifestation of your reality in terms of you know where your personal life is going. Do you think you're looking for that when that woman was like you know asking for money and if you want to share that story? Sure. Yeah. I think you know I, I think I was I was in my early twenties and I was really struggling with what do you know, what do I want to do? Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like every millennial asks like okay. How do you define success, right? Because mm -hmm. some people do it with money, some people do it with impact, um, some people want all of it, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I was really struggling with that, and you know, no, I didn't. I, I didn't know I was missing it. I'll say that I didn't know I was looking for it, but it, it was something that definitely found me. Yeah. Uh, and I'm so appreciative that it did. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people in their teens are asking the same questions. Like I go out with my friends, and we were always questioning like what do I want to do like you said like what does it mean to be successful and yeah and I think you know 
moves aren't made in one move, which mm-hmm. is kind of the opposite of that saying. But you know, this, this has been something that started two and a half years ago. Did I ever think it would get here? No, yeah. but I'm very happy it did. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something to be said for just, uh, you know, having the way I looked at it was okay. Like, how do you define courage, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what makes a person courageous? Um, I think if you look at the world around you and you're willing to take a risk to try to either better yourself, you know, spiritually, internally, financially, whatever, or those around you, like, taking a step in that direction is always going to pay off. You're either going to learn something yeah. in, in, you know, the crash and burn, and I've had plenty of those, mm-hmm. um, or maybe you'll make a difference with someone else. You never know. I feel like with your life, what I learned is you don't have to choose one or the other. I feel like with our generation, millennials, we are like, oh, follow your passion and, you know, just and not do your job or like just do your job and not follow your passion. But listening to you or researching you, I found out that you can have best of the both worlds in a way. Yeah, I wish I said it that. That was way that was way smarter. Um, yeah, I, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. You know, it was. I remember when I was in college or before college in high school and I was like, I want to be a musician full time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I auditioned at like Northwestern and a bunch of different schools and in Indiana for voice. And, uh, you know, that was what I wanted to do. And, you know, my, my dad who came from nothing and you know, built himself up and has you know, done well. And, you know, he's, he's such a, a role model for me. And he looked around, he's like, the average musician getting out of college makes $8,000 a year or something at the time. No way. So yeah, with a music major. He's like, don't do that. And, um, you know, he, he kicks me now for it. But uh, he was absolutely right. You know, I, I went to school, I studied economics, and um, it's allowed me to do both. Mm-hmm. And um, I've learned so much from the financial world as well as the musical world that I think doing both has made me better at both. Because, um, you know, the music, the music industry is a business too. Mm-hmm. So having the business background... Mm-hmm. I think it's made me more capable and um, that, you know, the creative thinking associated with music, I think has made me look at a trading job differently. Really? Yeah. How? I think, um, you know, with doing, he plays for me and music and, you know, looking at you know, record contracts and things like distribution deals and things like that. Um, what it's a lot easier now. Like I, I look at the music world and think, okay, I don't know how to go get this, but, um, I've been able to guess and check through doing He Plays For Me and meeting different contacts and working on different songs. So it's like, I'm a lot less afraid of failure. And I think looking at the politics of a large bank and or the opportunities of a large bank, it's made me better at, okay, well, let's go out and do it. Uh, I don't know if I would have had that that guts um, without having music and um, you know, working to push He Plays For Me. You do have a lot in your plate. How do you plan your day or... And how do you stay disciplined? You know, that's an interesting point. Um, I definitely have my bad days. I, don't, I feel like we don't hear enough about that. Like, well, I, tell me about your bad yeah, days. Yeah, I definitely come home and I'm not happy. And I am like an old curmudgeon sometimes. And, uh, you know, I definitely, I have bad days at work just like everyone else. And I have frustrating days at music. I remember we, I have a new EP coming out and I spent four nights from like 7.30 to 1 a.m. listening to drum samples like trying to figure out which I thought was the perfect one and looking back it was so crazy and it was you know maybe a waste of time but I thought it was so important to the song you know like so you do get caught up right you do have bad days and I'm so fortunate to have a incredible loved ones around me to, to, to deal with that mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure is not easy uh, but yeah in terms of how the day works I usually I'm usually up by five I usually wow. go to the gym in the morning 
Uh, I'm at work around 7.15. I usually leave by 6.30-ish. Um, and then, yeah, I usually have a couple hours to uh, you know, work on music. And either I, I book usually all my studio sessions, which I do in New York now. Um, I book at night. And, and then, yeah. Just kind of, I've been on the hang on for as long as you can. Have that, you ever taken been, a break, like the last four years? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think it's, I think that, I think breaks are so important, and I didn't count on that when I first started. Um, I'm definitely of the the hamster on a wheel mentality, and I think doing both has taught me so much that like it is it is vital to take a break sometimes. What do you do when you take a break? Um, you know, like it's it's a lot of it, and I think you got to walk away from everything. And I think I like put my phone away and like if I go to the beach or things like that. I'm one of those people that like if I go on vacation, I really can't relax. I do the same. Uh, I just can't. I can't turn it off. Yeah. And I think that's hard. Like, mm-hmm. you know, my girlfriend's incredible about, you know, <laughs> keeping me in line and, you know, calming me down. Um, because I, I think I think breaks are so important. And sometimes I just do nothing. Yeah. I definitely have those days that like I'm just like a slug. So um, you need those, though. You need those to recoup because I've noticed that some of my best ideas some of the things I thought were interesting have always come after a break. Uh, and I think, so there's definitely something to that. Okay. I mean, I ask that question for myself because for me, like even going on vacation, I feel guilty. So yeah. And I think I, you know, I go to that break period kicking and screaming mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I'll sleep 10 hours and you know, you feel better. And when, when you, when you're well rested and you know, somewhat calm, you have a much better perspective on things. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's something I always need a reality check on. It's like meditation. Yeah, exactly. In regards to your music career, tell us about the prom band and how did you start? Oh, man. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what, why I, I grew up loving music? Because I, I learned it playing it with my best friends. Okay. Um, so, when I was growing up, we had a great group of buddies and, you know, a couple I've known since preschool and a few I met, you know, in high school. But... Um, we were all playing music and we were, we were like a wild, fun cover band. And our goal, I mean, we started, you know, I, I think I joined Prime when I was 14 or 15. I can't remember. Um, but our goal was to be good enough to get asked to play a high school prom. That was like our dream. You know, we were young. Um, so we were like, oh, we're, that's when we, you know, it just goes to show you perspective, right? You know, our, our perception of making it was being so good that a high school prom would hire us. Um, that did not happen because oh, we, well, we, well, it happened later, but you know, through college, we, you know, we, we played all, all over the Chicagoland area and, you know, House of Blues and the Beat Kitchen, Mediterranean, all, all, a bunch of different subterranean, a bunch of different venues there. And we became like a wild, fun cover band. Um, but we were far too wild when I was in college for any sort of high school prom. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it, no, there, you know, I, I, some of my greatest musical memories are like, you know, sitting with my buddies in the basement playing music, you know, and all of them, like, they all still play in different ways now, some more professionally than others, um, but, yeah, it's something we'll always have together. Yeah. Do you guys still, like, hang out oh, twice all, No, all the time. We, we, we hang out all the time. Um, a bunch of them got married this year, so we all stood in the, we've all stood in each other's weddings, and, uh, no, we're, we're very close. We're very close. Do you ever wish, like, you continued with that band with your friends, or... Oh, I think those guys, you know, I moved out to New York and they, they lived in the Midwest at the time. Um, and those guys still give me tons of advice on music. And, you know, uh, I think it's so important in whatever you're doing to have people you can really trust with their opinion and mm-hmm. tell it to you straight. And uh, that group of guys have been there for me in every sort of way. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a reason we're, we're all best friends. So. Yeah. 
Awesome. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Oh, rap? Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you take your time. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, so what are some of misconceptions about you? I think um, most people don't know I work, uh, I work in finance. And uh, most people in finance don't know I work in music. Do they know now? Or like, was it hard for you to hide both of your identities? You know, I really wanted to hide both my identities at first. Yeah. Uh, and then I realized that, that it's kind of what makes me different. Right, and you kind of have to embrace that. Um, and when a lot of the the press started coming, uh, I particularly I remember when Page Six hit, uh, and my boss um, <laughs> called me at that morning, and he had no idea that I was really involved or what I was doing in music. So uh, there were definitely surprises. Uh-huh. Um, but it, I think it, it makes you it makes you more interesting as an individual to have different things going on. What so, did your boss say? Like, was it hard? Yeah, well, I, I I was worried when a lot of the press started coming that I was going to get fired. I thought, okay, this music stuff, um, you know, it's not necessarily straight up the alley of a bank. Um, but no, they were so supportive. And people from the bank have like come to shows and been super nice and donated money to he plays for me. And, um, you know, the reception was, was great. Uh, and I was, I think I was nervous for nothing. So, yeah, I mean, bank are like super strict about the compliance and everything. And I, yeah, I go through all that and <laughs> I, I talk often through for, you know, every interview or any, any sort of press stuff I've ever done. I've always, I've always talked to Morgan Stanley and they've been great about getting the message out there. Uh, they've been super kind about donations and, uh, and helping out. So no, it's been, uh, it's been a good experience. And you matched the donations too, right? So I did, that was something I did with Bowery, but I, yeah, it, it was very interesting. So, um, I started a donation with Bowery where I said, okay, I'm going to match my donations for all the money I raise when sitting with homeless people. So I sit with a guy named Matt. Mm-hmm. Matt and I make $10. Matt keeps that $10. I would go home and donate $10 to Bowery. Wow. Right? So that was an... I, I just asked my friends and family to match that donation. Um, what ended up happening is now this then put a video up and with uh, Miguel and I in it and they included the donation link in the comments of the Facebook video. Mm-hmm. And that, that video went on to get 11 million plays and 110,000 shares. Yeah, I, I was, and they raised, Miguel raised the money he needed to get off the street, and then anything above that went to Bowery. So we did wow. the $500 for Miguel, everything above that goes to Bowery. And um, we raised it in like two or three days. Uh, it was a couple of thousand dollars. I think the website actually crashed. Um, yeah, now this was, I mean, it was, it was amazing. So I actually wanted to ask this question. So. How much do they make when you're not singing with them? And how much more do they make when you're singing? You know, it really... I, I've, seen, I've seen it differ a lot from the individual. Um, for example, I know one 75-year-old woman who looks like the Queen of England and she's super sweet and she could sit there and make 20 bucks a day, no problem. Um, but I know other guys who make 40 cents a day. It's interesting, actually. The, the, more, the more dirty and you know, haggard you look... Uh, the less donation you get, really? which is interesting because you would think the opposite. Yeah. But I, um, you know, I've talked to several guys about this, and um, guys and gals, and what they say is that people are just afraid; they're spooked to approach you. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard to get donations, and people are afraid to approach you. And also, a lot of people, like my friends, especially, they're like, "Oh, I'll just give food," and people are scared to give money right. because one time I've seen this guy like just taking drugs on train stations. Sure. So some homeless people effect to all of them so what would be the best way to make an impact you think i like like i said before i think just talking to them 
And, and you're absolutely right. There are like, you know, the K2 consumption in New York City has skyrocketed, which yeah. is like a, it's a synthetic marijuana and it's gone up massively on the street, right? A lot of, you're seeing a lot of people who are, are living on the street taking it because it's so cheap. Uh, totally fair. So, you know, you, you can't, there are, are there home, homeless individuals with addiction problems? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But you could say that about any business, right? You know, you could say everyone who works on Wall Street is a terrible crook and criminal. Um, Clearly not. And, uh, yeah, but, or anything, right? Like, um, you know, there are people, there are bad apples in every tree. Mm -hmm. um, but there are also a lot of really, really nice people on the street who are, who are just looking for a little bit of support. And a little bit of support goes a long way. Agreed. Yeah. What's your favorite movie or documentary? In terms of movie, I'd have to say Schindler's List. Yeah, um, my grandfather was a um, Polish Catholic who was in a concentration camp in World War II. He was in Flossenburg. Um, so I think that will always be close to my heart. But yeah, that, that, I thought that movie was, was pretty powerful. I've actually been to his house. Really? Yeah, um, two years ago. Wow. Yeah, that was really powerful. I'm sure it was heavy, yeah. Yeah. Um, two books you would recommend? Um, I would recommend Life of Pi. And then I would also recommend The Alchemist. Uh, I have reread The Alchemist every two or three years. Yeah. Um, and I so, always get I always I always get something brand new out of it. Yeah. Um, it, it's something that I think it's just it's so eloquently written. Uh, it's such a powerful story, and you know, like it, I think it relates to every person's life yeah. at some point. So. I've not watched Life of Pi. Everyone tells me to watch it. I haven't seen the movie. I, I just, I love the book. I think that the interesting question of, and I'm not going to give it away, but you know, the idea of spirituality and how that impacts every individual is different. Uh, I just, th I thought it was a great question. And so well done. Do you think like what you are or like how you are is because of spirituality or it's just who you are? I think I've gotten more, more spiritual um, since doing this in the last two and a half years. Just because I've seen so many amazing things. Um, I've seen people do incredible things for each other. Um, you know, be it, you know, Miguel getting off the street and all the kind things around the world that people said to him or even little things, right? Like I've seen, sat with people where, you know, a guy you know, walks up and gives a homeless person a hundred dollars or, you know, like, hey, go get a hotel for the night. Merry Christmas. I've seen things like that. I've seen, um, homeless people where, I played with one guy, this guy Hassan, who I know very well, and like I've played with him multiple times. And one time I played with him on a Saturday, and I played with him the next day on Sunday because there's no one else around. And on Sunday he was like, "Well, you played with me yesterday, so I'm going to take the money we made today." And it was like seven dollars. So I'm going to take the money we made today, and I'm going to go buy my friend on the street a cheese Danish because it's his birthday, and he would love it. And it's like this is a guy with seven dollars to his name, and he all he's thinking about is his friend. I think, yeah, I. I I've been a part of a lot of great moments, and most of them had nothing to do with me. I've just been watching them. So uh, it's definitely made me more spiritual. Wow, that's powerful. That is so powerful. One time I was in train station, and this guy was like asking, you know, for money, and I was like, oh my god, another guy, which is such a bad thinking. I get. I think everyone gets like that, though. You know, when 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 you get forced to. Mm -hmm. To look at it like that, I think it can be difficult. You know, I've heard homeless people say on the street, I get way more money if my head is down and I don't make eye contact with anyone, which is also super sad. But it's like, what is the, the best way to go about it? I don't know. Yeah. And this guy, right? And he was asking for money and someone gave him a dollar. And he left the train station and it was in Grand Central. So I was taking shuttle from Times Square to Grand Central. And this woman was singing in Grand Central. And... People were giving money and this guy had a dollar. He just gave it to her, smiled and said, have a good day and just left. 
That's like amazing. That's a great story. And I was just mind blown. Because for me, I was like, oh, what is he going to do with that money? Or like, why is he asking? Or, you know, like people like, oh, why don't you get a job? Which is hard if you don't have shower, if you don't have clothes, who's going to give you a job, right? That is definitely something I saw with Miguel. It was, okay, I have a guy who's really passionate about working at, you know, at the time and he was super excited about it, but he's been on the street for several days. It's the yeah. middle of summer. He doesn't have any clean clothes. What do you do? How do you present that guy in the right manner? Absolutely. That, that's a good point. And... Yeah, I mean, that just literally changed my perception on homelessness, so... That's a great story. I'll, I'm going to use that one. I like that. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Oh, be patient. Be patient. Um, that, is, that is definitely not my, my skill set. And I think, you know, I've, I've missed a lot of joyful moments because I was so worried about the next thing. You know, mm, um, I, I agree with that, too. When I was in, when I was in college and, um, you know... It was, it was okay, you know, I was some night and about the next test and, um, you know, University of Chicago definitely kicked my butt, so it kept me in gear, but I, it, you know, maybe, I should have, I should have relaxed a bit and maybe enjoyed it, enjoyed the moment more. When I first moved to New York, I was so nervous about the new job and finding a way to, you know, get involved in music that, you know, I don't know if I enjoyed the fact that, hey, you're moving across the country mm-hmm. with a backpack, like, pretty cool. And, you know, um, and through heat plays for me, right? It's been, okay, we help one guy, how do we help the next guy? What's the next thing? And I, I think it's important to take a step back sometimes. And I, I would, so that would, that's what I would, I would remind my 18 year old self to do that. My question always is like, do you think you would be as successful as you are if you weren't that impatient or if you didn't work that hard? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I don't know if, if I would be or I wouldn't be, but maybe my perspective on you know, successes or failures I've had, maybe I would handle those differently or better. Mm-hmm. But that's, a, you know, in terms of your, your, your point, well, if you didn't have those failures and you weren't super driven by those failures, would that, would that have led to the, the path? I don't know. Yeah, that's a great I'm, question. No, I'm really impatient too. And all of my friends are like, oh, you should just relax or have fun and all these things. And I want to, but at the same time, is that going to lead you to your purpose or where you want to go, you know? And I also think too, um, you know, who you take advice from and what advice to take is always an important thing. Um, because even with... With he plays for me, a lot of people when I first started doing it didn't they didn't really get it, mm-hmm. um, and I knew it was a powerful thing because I'd seen it because I'd seen it with my own eyes. Regardless, no one ever paid attention. I I thought it was a good good use of my time. So if you want to, res- and I, I say this often, but if, if you want if you want something that you don't know anyone who's ever gotten that thing, right? I don't know anyone who's ever had a successful music career and worked at a bank at the same time, all while trying to you know help the homeless community. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want something no one's ever done, you got to be willing to pay a price no one's paid. Um, so I, I think that's something I always think in the back of my head. Um, just that you know keeps me driving forward. And also, when you first started, you said like you didn't want to post an Instagram or sure. you didn't want people to know about it, and a lot of people didn't know about it, and you just did it for the sake of doing it. What kept you moving when there was like not as big of a tangible change? Sure. You know totally. What I mean? um, yeah. It's it, it's something you know. You're not you're not moving mountains. Yeah. But um, I think it showed me the value of like the tiny moments, the small moments, right? It showed me that like, okay, you're right. Maybe maybe nothing has changed in the world, but like I was sitting with Joe who wants to work a construction job, and he's now got enough money to buy boots. Like, mm. okay, so maybe we didn't change the world, but maybe that'll help Joe. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's important to like take one step at a time. And that's something I don't do well. So uh, it was just a great reminder of, okay, hey, you made, a, you made a little bit of a difference today. And I feel like big changes come with small, tangible changes. 
or like yeah, small absolutely. little changes. Absolutely. Um, and, and I think, you know, the more, the more you focus on one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And we forget that, like, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I want to gain six packs tomorrow. It's not going to happen like that. You have to like work out every single day to right. reach there. So yeah, absolutely. Every, yeah. Things take time. Mm-hmm. Things take time. Um, what is one of the most beautiful moment, um, since you started doing He Plays For Me? Oh, there's been so many. Um, like last last week, I was um, I was out, and there was a you know I, I always get nervous with a film crew following you around, and there was a film crew from this German TV show following me around, um, and I, I always get very I get very protective of the homeless community because I think at no point do I want them to feel uncomfortable or taken advantage of in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I whenever there's an opportunity to bring media around, I do it. I, I always talk to the, the individual I'm sitting with, and I say, okay. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to tell your story. If you have something you want to say, like you have an audience now, um, people don't understand the homeless community. Like, mm-hmm. show them who you are, right? Um, and it was it, it wasn't going great. Uh, you know, we were out and it's like we weren't making a lot of money, and um, it was like rush hour. And we, I sat next to this woman named Lulu, mm-hmm. and I sat with Lulu for two minutes. We chatted. I played a couple of songs. We, it's not like we made it. I think we made like a dollar or two dollars and I played like two songs. Um, and then the reporter asked Lulu what she thought of what I was doing. And she just started absolutely bawling. And it was like, I'd only known her for two minutes. Um, and here, it just showed me a lot. Of, and, you know, she was so appreciative. And she was, she was like appreciative. Okay, yeah, I had fun. You know, you sang nice, fine. But I think it was more that people wanted to talk to her and get to know her. You know, she'd been sitting right in Union Square and no one had spoke to her all day. Um, so I, I think like little things like that, like I had no idea. I think oftentimes people don't necessarily know the impact they've made on another person. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be anything, right? Sometimes you, you might say something really nice to your friend and it might mean the absolute world to them. Like this has happened to me. Friends have said kind things. And, wow. And I think about that for a long time, but you don't know, right? That yeah. you don't know the ripple effect. So, um, you know, looking at Lulu and just seeing how emotional she got, it just like blew my mind. Cause here I was thinking I was a complete failure that day. And you know, I wasn't making a ton of money for these people, and I'm sure, and I, I'm projecting my feelings onto Lulu, thinking she's probably so upset that I'm not making her more money. Um, yeah, so I think like things like that just keep keep me in, in pace. I was watching one video by People Magazine, and there was this guy. He was like a teenager, and David. Yeah, yeah and they were asking him questions, and he was saying how sometimes, like in a month, only two people come and say hello to me, and. You know, you going to him and just sitting next to him and just talking to him meant the world. And that just changed my perspective because there's so many homeless people. I don't say hello. I don't even smile. I don't even look them in the eye. But that could mean, you know, giving someone dignity or making someone feel like, hey, like you matter. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I remember I was sitting with Hassan and I bring his name because I know him really well. uh, And he's comfortable with me telling these stories. I was sitting with Hassan and this woman came up and she was like, oh, sir, can I buy you a cup of coffee? And he was like, oh, no, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, she walks away and he turns to me and he's like, can you, can you believe that? She called me sir. And that like made his day. Wow. So I, I think, and I'm, I'm sure that woman has no idea, right? She probably doesn't even remember that, but he thinks about it all the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what mantra or code do you live by? Mantra or code? Um, don't talk about it, be about it. I think, I think that's something that I, I constantly think about. Uh, my dad sent it to me when I was a little kid. Yeah. Um, 
And, and I think it's just, you know, action's always going to speak louder. So. That's true. That's true. So if people want to find you in Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, where should they go? Yeah. So I think, I think Instagram's probably the best place to go. Okay. And it is. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, you can search Chris Leamy. Uh, my handle is Leamy underscore alone. Okay. I'll um, put it in show notes. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Last question. What is your definition of courage? Um, my definition of courage would be anyone who's willing to take a risk to better themselves or those around them. I think in life, like I've always learned the most um, when I tried something I was really uncomfortable with. And I think that um, you know, push, putting yourself in positions where you feel uncomfortable is so important to growing as a human being. So anyone who's willing to do that, and it can be anything, right? Like it can be a job. Like I have a friend who just moved from Chicago to the panhandle of Florida uh, and he's like super nervous about it, but it's a great opportunity. Um, and he's, he's like, now he talks about it and he's like, I'm so glad I did it. I've learned so much or, you know, and it can be, it can be anything, right? It can be personal. Like I look at my, you know, my sister who's pregnant with her second kid and, um, she's got a one year old and she just broke her foot and she's moving in a week from Boston to Chicago and she's holding it all together and she's like being such a rock star with it. Like, I think that takes courage too. So, um, it, it doesn't necessarily come in one form, be it like a passion or a job or creativity or any, anything like that it, it can be in every different form it can be going you know going to a place that maybe maybe you learn something right yeah. um so yeah that's how i define it sure i mean and every single person i've interviewed says do things that makes you feel uncomfortable it's so ironic right because you would think that the things that make you happy are things that are like known and safe but the things that have the biggest impact are the th- like the unknown right mm-hmm. that fear of the unknown i guess i don't know yes. thank you chris this was such a pleasure oh thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it Hey, you guys, thank you so, so much for listening to this podcast. I really, really appreciate your time. And if you enjoyed this episode, then make sure to subscribe because every single week I will come up with awesome and epic interviews like this one. And do not forget to check out my website, limitlessgrid.com for show notes.